did. I thought about not, just seeing how long you would stand for. <laughs> Could be fun. Well, as we, as we uh, continue on in our series, we're going through a series called Jesus Questions, or Questions That Jesus Asked. You learn a lot from the questions that someone asks, and, and uh, then you learn a lot from the answers. And so in the Gospels, um, there are over 300 questions that Jesus asked to different people, usually his disciples, sometimes other people as well. And so we're just going to continue that on this morning, um, and, and you're going to see there's a, a theme we're going to get to before we get to the question. So any, anyone watch the NFL? I know I said there's a game on earlier, but anybody watch football or have ever watched an NFL football game? Okay, so no one. No, I'm just kidding. There's a few hands. Thank you. I uh, just wanted to know the audience there. Um, so about 24 years ago, I don't know if you remember a guy. Uh, I know some of you do. Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders was a, a running back on the Detroit Lions, and he was really good. I mean, he, he uh, so good that he was 1,400 yards short of, of passing Walter Payton's all-time rushing record, breaking the record, which is probably one good season for him. Uh, him and Emmett Smith were, were close to it, and he, he probably could have got there first, except he quit. Sorry, um, that's my fault. Uh, he quit right before the 1999 season, in his prime, 1,400 yards away, age 31 years old, and he just quit. Just stopped. Shocked the sports world. We're going to you want to know why he quit? Probably, I would guess. But I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that now. I'm going to come back and tell you at the end. So you have to listen the whole time, or you might miss it. So anyway, we're going to talk about quitting today. What have you quit? All of us have quit something, whether it was a, a hobby or a job or, I don't know, just there's a lot of things we could have quit. Um, and also, uh, who has quit on you in some way? Also, that's happened. It's happened to all of us in some way. Well, we're going through John chapter 6 today. And uh, I have to, to tell you ahead, it's, it's uh, really long. Um, I think it's like 70, 71 verses, something like that. We're not going to go through all of it. We are going to go through all of it, but I'm going to pull out some passages. But if you want to hear, if you want to see the big picture, just whenever we're done, uh, when you go home, read John chapter 6. There's so much. Basically, what's going on is, is a lot of people are following Jesus, and he's doing a lot of great things. He's performing miracles and, uh, and healing people. And in John chapter 6, we see that he, he feeds 5,000 people. It says it's 5,000 men plus the women and children, so it could have been 12,000 people uh, with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. He performs the miracle. He walks on water. We, we're not even going to talk about that today. Um, but, but the story today um, we're going to get to is, is people are following him, and then all of a sudden, a lot of them quit. They just, they just stop following him. So Jesus then asked his 12 disciples, he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? I, I might shorten that today just because that's a mouthful. Do you want to leave too? He asks his disciples that. Before I, uh, before I came back to Mount Pulaski, I was a youth minister for eight years, and youth ministry is a lot of fun. Um, it, it is a real job. I know people would ask me when I was a youth minister, when are you going to be a real minister? like, well, I kind of am. Have you ever dealt with your kids? But uh, <laughs> some, yeah, sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's a harder job. But anyway, uh, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. You get to see kids at youth group every week, and you see them at CIY, and you, you go to their events. You really get invested. You know, you get close to them. And the hardest part of youth ministry, though, is when they graduate and they go off to college, a lot of them stop going to church. 
At, at that point in time, there was a book called Sticky Faith that came out, and it was a, it was a big deal. Um, and it was a study that said of your eight, uh, every eight teenagers that graduate and go off to college, only one stays in the church. I mean, if one out of eight left, I would feel bad, but seven out of eight at that time were leaving the church when they went off to college. That's, that's heartbreaking. Now, in the book, it also shared that 30 to 40% will come back to the church when they get married or have kids. So that was pretty positive that maybe it was just a stage of life or, you know, a phase they were going through kind of, um, and some would come back. Either way, it, it was, it's tough. We've all had people that we, that we saw grow up in the church, and they're not here anymore. People that, you know, we grew up with, that we went to youth group with, or, uh, or our family. It, it happens. We see this. Today we're going to look at at least one reason why. Uh, not the only reason, I'm sure, but one reason. So there's three parts to the sermon this morning. It's what we want, what Jesus wants, and why we quit. And I'm just, I think you might already see it, and it's not going to be a surprise this morning. Sometimes what we want and what Jesus want, wants, it's not the same thing, and so we quit. It's kind of the whole thing there. But let's start with what we want. John 6, starting at verse 25, says this. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. All right, I'm going to pause there for a minute. This is, this is the most important part of at least what creates this tension of why people leave. He says, you saw the miracles, you saw my power, you saw that I'm God in the flesh, you saw that, I'm, that I said who I am. And you saw all those things, but that's not why you're following. He says, you followed because you wanted something and I gave it to you. That's, that's where it starts. That's what we want. We want Jesus to do something for us. He fed, you know, 12,000 people maybe, um, at least 5,000 we know. They were filled and they wanted more. And I think that's what happens. Many people become Christians because they see something or they want something from God, Jesus, the church, and they go to them, and, and they get something short-term. And they say, oh, I like this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with this. Maybe life wasn't doing the trick. It was, uh, it's empty, or you're just curious, or you're broken, and you say, well, I know this Christian, and they seem to uh, think that they have answers. I'm going to go and try this out. Maybe I'll get answers too. And so if we go, and we at least have some kind of short-term, yeah, I like this. This makes me feel good. This gives me what I want, and we want more. Verse 27, Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has placed His seal of approval. And so what He's saying right away is it's not a temporary fill. That's not what you should be after, but eternal life. But then they, they start to uh, kind of debate, or at least, I don't know if it's an argument, but they really question it a lot. Through a statement, John 6, 31, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, so there's some context here. They're looking back to their ancestors or the Jewish people, the Israelites, God's chosen people, and, and they're saying, hey, uh, a long time ago, there was this guy named, named, named Moses, and he led the, the Israelites, he led, he led our people out of slavery. 
right? And so, and so they were free, and they were wandering in the wilderness, and they were hungry, and they complained. And, and, and then God, through, through Moses' request uh, of the people, God gave the people bread, or manna is the word that's used here. Every morning they would wake up, and there was manna on the ground, and they would just collect it. It's from Exodus 16:4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And so just like Moses gave them bread, they're thinking, okay, now this Jesus guy, well, he just gave us bread too in the, in the miracle of taking the bread and the fish and, and feeding everyone. So they were filled they didn't, the people didn't care about the miracle. They didn't care that Jesus did something amazing that no one else could do. They cared that their stomachs were filled, that their needs were met. They thought Jesus was the new Moses. They believed the second Moses from Deuteronomy 18 uh, would come in and would rescue them, just like the Israelites were, were slaves. And Moses came in and, and said, let my people go. And, and through the plagues, God freed them. But through Moses, and now they think Jesus is here, and we're being oppressed by the Romans Maybe not to the same level of the Egyptians, but at least they were feeling pretty oppressed. The taxes were high. I mean, they could never get ahead. They didn't have a lot of freedom. The Romans did whatever they wanted, and they think, okay, Jesus is like Moses, and he's going to come in, and he gave us the bread, so he's going to give us what he wants, so he's going to free us, and he's going to take over, and we're going to be on his side. This is going to be good. They saw this connection. Uh, John six fourteen after after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. They, they made the connection and they were not letting it go. He was there for them. My question for you today is not, this isn't the question that Jesus asked, but this is going to lead us to that, is, is what do you want? What, what, we asked this question a couple weeks ago, but what do you want from Jesus? What's the thing that you're, you're, you're praying about and, and maybe you're really praying about and you're fasting and you're saying, I just want you to do this for me, God. This is what I want. Maybe it's a blessing in your business. I just need this to happen and my life will be better. Or this relationship, if this will be fixed, then things will be better. Or if you would just give me this, then that will take all my anxiety away and I'll know that I can trust you forever. What do you want from Jesus? First question. Now, what if he doesn't give it to you? What if he doesn't give it to you? It might happen. That's what happened in our story today. We might think, well, no, if I really, really want it, and if I really pray about it, then he's going to give it to me because he loves me. This is where the disconnect starts to happen. See, in this story, verse 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. What they wanted was Jesus to be the king so that they would have their fill and they would be free and they wouldn't be oppressed, and he left. It wasn't what he wanted. We're going to look now at what Jesus wants. Verse 49, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. And very clear, they wanted food, God gave them food, they still died. Verse 50, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. His number one priority was for them to live forever. 
His number one priority for us is to live forever. It's not to take care of our temporary situation or our current need. Uh, I'm not saying that those aren't important. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray about those and we shouldn't, we shouldn't go to God with our requests, but that's not number one. Number one priority is that every single person would be saved, that no one would be lost. That's consistent all throughout Scripture. God loves us so much that He would do what it takes so that we would be with Him forever in even sacrificing His own Son. That's the gospel. Does it mean those other things aren't important? Well, they're important, but they're not as important. This is number one. So verse 52, then the Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, that's a fair question. I, how, can, how can he give his flesh and his body to eat? Like, that's cannibalism, so we probably wouldn't agree with that either. Um, also, the Jewish people had a lot of laws about what was clean and unclean. That's, if you eat a person, you're probably breaking like 100 laws. I mean, if you touched a dead person, you had to go outside uh, away from all the people and you couldn't go to the temple until the priest said you were clean and there were certain sacrifices and all that stuff. Uh, and, and he's saying that we have, to, we have to eat a person. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the, the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now, we're going to come back to this idea in a little bit, because this is why we take communion every week. I'm going to talk about that later, but I want to focus on this idea now that this was so difficult for them. It was a difficult teaching. They, they said that they wanted rescued from Rome, and he says, no, I want to rescue you from death. Big difference there. It's like it's like putting a Band-Aid on a, a, a broken leg. Or uh, if a tree, you have a tree in your yard and you think, well, the leaves are starting to die, so you get a spray bottle and you go out and you just, you just spray water on the leaves and you think, well, there's water on the leaves, now it's going to be fine. Well, no, it's a root issue. It's a deeper issue. And, and they couldn't see that. They couldn't see past the temporary. Here's where I am right now and I don't want to be here and this guy's going to fix it and if he doesn't, then I'm going to leave. I think we have that too sometimes. So, how will you respond to Jesus in what He wants, even if it's not what you want? That's, that's what we really have to decide. I think we need to decide it sooner than later as well. How did they respond? Which leads us to our third idea of why we quit. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of His disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? That's fair, it's a hard teaching. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Hard teaching, so they quit. Why, why do people quit? I think a lot of it is because they, they, it, something's too hard to follow. Maybe not always too hard to understand, sometimes, but too hard to obey, too hard to trust. Uh, some of the things that, that Jesus says, that we're actually relying on him fully to come through and, and his power and... and Eh, sometimes we can't do that. Sometimes it's those hard teachings. Uh, I think, well, you know, eating the flesh and drinking the blood, we know that's about communion. Um, and, and we do that as a reminder every week that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And, and in that love, he gave up his body and his blood his whole life. And he was raised to new life. We see God's love and God's power. But there are other hard teachings that I think keep people from uh, coming to Jesus or, or drive us away. Forgiveness. I know forgiveness is a big one. If, if I'm supposed to forgive and I don't want to or I'm not ready to or 
and it was really, really bad, and I don't think I'll ever forgive that person, but, I'm, but I have to. I forget it. I'm not, I'm not going to obey that. Um, I, I know in the, in the culture today and a lot of the changes, uh, sometimes hard, hard teaching would be uh, through sexuality. I know there's a lot of different areas. I'm not going to go to any of them right now. Um, but people say, well, if, if I want to live this way and the Bible says this, and forget it. I'm not going to try to understand it. I'm just, I'm just going to leave it. I know there's uh, this idea of, of uh, well, it's, not, it's a biblical idea, but Jesus says, I am the way and the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then we say, well, what about the other people? people that don't know Jesus and other religions, and they can't be saved. Well, their religions say the same thing, but, but uh, it's this idea of being exclusive. And, and so then people say, well, I, if, if it's not going to work for them, then forget it. I'm not going to follow them either. It's, it's tough. There's a lot of hard things in here. So the question that Jesus asked in verse 67 is, you do not want to leave too, do you? So will they, will we continue to follow Jesus when it's hard, when it's difficult. There's a, a story I want to share. Um, it's a, I think that might help us to, what do we do with this? You know, okay, sometimes things are hard and people leave, but what do we Christians do about it? Well, this story is, uh, it was in the Washington Post, retired admiral and retired Navy SEAL, William H. McRaven. He wrote a story in the Washington Post that I think is worth sharing. He said, for a, a would-be Navy SEAL, Hell Week, that's the training week, is the worst week of the toughest military training in the world. It is six days of no sleep, constant physical and mental harassment, and one special day at the Mud Flats. The Mud Flats are an area between San Diego and Tijuana, Mexico, where the water comes together and creates a swampy patch of terrain, a muddy bog that tests your determination to be a seal. He said, my training, has, my training class has been out of the out of the mud for a short period of time when the instructors, looking to weed out the weak of mind and body, ordered that the entire group of 55 men back into the blog. blog, bog. The mud consumed each man until there was nothing visible but our heads. We were all exhausted, numb from the cold and desperate to hold on. The instructors told us that we could all leave the mud if just five men quit. It was the instructor's way of turning us against each other. It was apparent that some of the trainees were about to give up. There were still eight hours to go before the sun rose, eight more hours of bone-chilling cold. Several of the students started moving to the, ground, to the dry ground. They were ready to quit. And then one voice began to echo through the night, one voice raised in song. The song was terribly out of tune, but sung with great enthusiasm. One voice became two, and two became three, and before long the entire class was singing. The instructors threatened us with more time if, in the mud if we kept singing, but the singing persisted. Those of us stuck in the mud believed that if one of us could start singing when he was up to his neck in mud, then maybe the rest of us could make it through the night. And we did. Fifty-five men, I don't, some of them were, were ready to quit, move in that direction. And one person did what was needed. Sometimes we just need one person to give us a reminder. When things aren't going well, maybe, maybe it's just a couple or a family or um, uh, a church body or a community, and, and, and people are starting to give up and get discouraged and start to lose hope. Sometimes it just takes one person to remind them of their faith. That's exactly what Simon Peter did. Verse 38, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. It's just a reminder. It's something they already knew before. They were already following him. They already got their fill. They saw the miracles. And, and at this point, you know, they're, they're starting to be discouraged. And this one person said, where would we go? We've tried everything. We've seen it, we've seen it all. Nothing else gives us this. You, you have eternal life. You have the words to eternal life. What Jesus did was different than everyone else, even the other religious people. He looked different because he was different. But that's not just after we die. That's the life that started right then. When we, when we place our faith in Jesus, it's new life, it's new purpose, it's new meaning. It might be hard at times, but his words lead to eternal life. Therefore, there's, there's no other place to go. Verse 69, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's really the question we have to answer. You won't want to leave if you believe that Jesus is the way, that came from the Father, is God in the flesh. If we truly believe that, it doesn't matter anything else. I mean, really, whatever we lose, whatever happens, whatever uh, hardships we face, we would never leave Jesus if we really believed that he was the Holy One of God. Told you I'd come back to this. Why did Barry Sanders quit? When he retired, he didn't give a, a, a big statement. He didn't give a lot. He kind of just said he was burned out and ready to be done. But uh, through interviews and, and then a book, eventually, he shared that he, believes, he believed that the Lions' leadership didn't really want to win. What, what he wanted was to win, and I think they had gone maybe, I think it was 5-11 and 11 the previous two years. I could be wrong on that, but I know they, they didn't have winning records, and he was, he was fed up. Basically, what he was saying was he didn't trust the leadership to give him what he wanted, and so he left. We have to ask that same question. Jesus wants to lead our lives, and do we trust him or not? And if we don't get what we want because it's not what he wants, do we still trust him? That's when it gets tough. We know that. And so what do we do as Christians? Why are so many people leaving Christianity? People who have grown up in Christian households, could it be that, this is, this, this is a little bit bold, but could it be that the Christians they are looking to, us, myself included, the Christians who are mentoring them and teaching them, do we look any different to them than anyone else? When my kids look to me and they, they think, well, I read this in the Bible and my Sunday school teacher taught me this and I heard you say this in the sermon, but then you do this. Well, yeah, I know I fall short, but am I being consistent? Maybe just one reason. Do they look at us, but they don't see a reflection of Jesus? They read all about Jesus, and they hear us say, we're Christians, we're, we're like little Jesus, you know, going, going around and trying to live like him, and, and they say, well, Jesus did this, and he loved these people, and he forgave these people, and he put these people first, but you're not doing that. It's a tough one. It's not to make anyone feel guilty. This is a challenge for all of us Christians myself included. Can we live for Jesus even when he doesn't offer what we want? When, when, they, when they see us, I just think of, of, you know, I think of my kids. When they see me do, and I say, I trust him, I trust God with everything, and then they see me putting, prioritizing my safety or my future ahead of loving someone else and being generous. Well, do they, are they going to think that Christianity is even worth anything? Well, they look at me and, they, and they'll say, well, I, this isn't any different. I'm going to leave too. I think there, there's, a, there's this thing, um, kind of a more recent term, it's probably been going on forever, quiet quitting. It's whenever you, you quit your job 
except you don't actually tell the boss or resign. You just keep getting a paycheck, but you don't do anything. I kind of wonder if sometimes that's what it's like with us. Like, yeah, I'm still a Christian, but I'm not really wanting to do the work. I'm not really wanting to be obedient. I'm just wanting to do my thing. And I think that's tough. Uh, I, I think we all have to, to, to remind ourselves daily. Kind of a wake-up call. If I, if, if, my, if I believe that salvation for my, for my kids and for uh, the youth of the church and other, other adults in the community, I mean, the people, if that's number one priority, then do we actually make it number one? I don't always. I don't know if I get it right half the time, even 10% of the time. I mean, I, I mean that. I'm not just saying that to try to make someone feel good. It's hard because we always look to our temporary needs and what's coming up, and not just for ourselves. And we might say, well, I'm loving my family so much that I'm putting their needs ahead of, of, of my faith right now. And because I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to take care of my family. But what about our, our family, our, our kids' spiritual lives? You know, what, what about their faith? What do, what do they see when they look at me? As we go into our time of communion, um, we recognize that, that this was a hard teaching for them to accept, eating the flesh and drinking the blood. That's not a hard teaching for us anymore because we know that Jesus gave up his, his body and his blood and his life for us. And so I want to come back to the text. I'm not sure I read all of these. Um, I know I've read some, some of them already. But verse 28 says, they asked him, they, so they asked Jesus, this is a question I think we want to get right. What must we do to do the work, works God requires? Okay, we want to be a Christian. We want to follow you. What do we have to do? All of us want that answer. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it. That's not a lot of work. Believe in the one he sent, so we trust him and we follow him. We, we look to Jesus as our Savior, but also as our Lord or our Master, and we do what he says. We don't read the Bible and we say, well, I don't like that one, so I'm not going to do it. We just, we just follow him. It's not blind faith. It's faith because of the resurrection that Jesus proved to be God. Verse 40, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. That's what He wants. That's His number one goal. Do we, do we believe that if that's His number one goal and He died for us and He was raised to new life, do we believe that we can trust Him or not? Can we trust Him in life just like we can trust Him in death? Verse 49, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. It's not magic bread and magic juice that if you happen to take one of those uh, little pieces of bread and eat it and drink a little of the juice, then you're saved and you're going to heaven. That's not what it's about. It's not magical. It's when you eat this, you're acknowledging that Jesus is, is the way to the Father, and He's offered that to you. It's not what you do. It's not how much you mess up. It's not if you only can follow Him 2% of the time. It's what Jesus did for you, and then we believe that, and we try to give everything back to Him because we trust Him with our lives. This is what carries us through life when there's that disconnect between what we want and what Jesus wants. Do we trust Him enough? The pressure's gone. Our freedom and our purpose come through the acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this teaching. Um, it was a hard teaching. A, a teaching so different than anything else, that, that life was not about following rules or doing certain things, but simply believing uh, in a truth 
uh, that you are God in the flesh. And so I pray that as the disconnects happen, as life is hard and difficult, and as we face the pressures of, of today and the next week and, and, and whatever is to come, I just pray that you would help us to trust you uh, so, that, so that we can see how, how you come through and how it, how it plays out. We, we know life will not be perfect and we, um, we will all have problems and we will all leave this world, but, but, but you give us eternal life. You give us a life that lasts far beyond what we could ever see. And you proved uh, how much you love us. You proved your power. You proved everything that you could possibly prove if we would just look to you. And so I pray for our faith, for ourselves, for our families, and for our community, uh, that many would know you. God, I thank you for Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.